everybody, and welcome to the Cinema Catch-Up Club, the podcast for films that you probably should have seen by now. I'm your host, Dr. Stephen Blatt. Thank you very much for downloading this week's episode. And this week, it's a very special episode because we're travelling back in time 100 years. That's right. Films are old, and this one in particular is turning the big 100. It is Nosferatu which I presume is about a vampire that has a uh, very fast car that he drives around with that NOS energy boost. Uh, I haven't seen it. I don't know. Uh, someone else who hasn't seen it and who is also a doctor, it is Dr. Ellen Sears. Hello, Stephen. How are you, Ellen? I am well. Good. Uh, Nosferatu. Yeah. What do you know about it? It's a silent film. It's German. It's very old. Um, I think everybody kind of knows that very iconic sort of very very like the 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 the, the white bald face with the big pointy teeth and mm. the, the like i feel like it's been spoofed a lot in pop culture um i've never never seen it but yeah i feel like it's going to be not entirely dissimilar to a couple of other um films that we've done on this podcast i wasn't on the cabinet of dr caligari but i believe this is the same sort of time period um mm. and it's that german expressionistic type thing so yeah i'm excited to i'm excited to have a bit of a look it's th- this is the kind of horror film that i can deal with where it's like not actually really scary anymore <laughs> i'm sure it was like 100 years ago but like now it's like this is fine yeah i can deal with this it's more like tension and stuff rather than like jump scares or the terrifying golem things in the descent which just gave me like nightmares i was gonna say there's a lot of bold pointy teeth things in the descent you might you might not be okay with this I might not. No, I feel like I'm going to be okay with this. Generally, like if it's slightly slower and it's like, you know, the way that they shot um, like horror films and those kinds of things back then, like it doesn't freak me out. The soundscape is not going to freak me out. So hopefully I'll be okay. Mm. We'll see. <laughs> and how are you with their vampires in general? Like, um, are they, are they, are you a big fan? Or? Like they're, 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 they're fine. They're interesting. Like the, the lore around vampires is, is is really interesting i really enjoyed dracula when we did it on the podcast um for its hundred 90th 90th whatever anniversary it was that mm. we did last year I, I was never really a big fan of um like the anne rice vampire things partially because i had big issues with um the way that she treated people in the fandom um and all of her cease and desist things with fan fiction it's like just let them just let them play in the sandbox and like just just let them mm. do the thing i did read twilight mostly because the thing with twilight is that i had a few friends recommend it to me um and i was like okay and i was sort of in my late teens when they were coming out mm. and the the last time that i had been like just because it's popular doesn't mean that i'm gonna like it i'm not gonna read it me 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 the book series in question was Harry Potter, which I ended up really loving when I eventually did get to it. So I was like, okay, well, I've been recommended this Twilight thing. I'll read it. And I read the first one and was like, okay. And then they went, there's another three books. And I was like, okay. And by the time I got to the end of the fourth one, I sort of went, you know what? You know what reading these books is like? It's like watching a car accident in slow motion. Like it's just, it's dreadful. Like you just can't look away from it. Mm. And you just, you really want to know what happens next, even though you're just like, these are all terrible people. I think a lot of like contemporary vampire cinema is very like, eh. Mm. I think the older stuff is better. Okay. So in short, they're okay. They're fine. I okay. guess. Yeah. Okay. Well, <laughs> you look asked at- a question. I gave you an answer. <laughs> you, you certainly <laughs> Apparently did. Apparently I have a lot to say about. I like the vampires on Supernatural. I think they're great. Mm. 
Uh, well, luckily, decapitate them. It's fun. Well, luckily for uh, yourself <laughs> and myself, we have someone who has seen Nosferatu. Uh, welcome back to the program, Christy Leach. Hello, everybody. Thank you very much for having me back. It's a pleasure. Uh, Christy, welcome back. Uh, first, first one in 2022. Yes. It's been 100 years since this film came out. Um, how long has it been since you've seen Nosferatu? Oh, gosh, probably um, uh, quite a while. Um, yeah, it's about 20 years yeah, uh, I was a rabid collector of uh, horror, old horror films when I was a teenager. Um, had them all on DVD, mm-hmm. uh, devoured them. Mm. Uh, love my big grade horror. horror. <laughs> and so obviously this being an iconic one, you would have snatched up and, and devoured. Yes, very much so. And this is uh, very iconic, this one. Um, it also is just, just beautifully surrealist and the cinematography is pretty awesome, as you guys are going to find out. So in a vague, non-spoilery sort of way, what's it about? Well, I mean, I think it's very hard to to avoid spoilers when talking about something that's based on Dracula mm-hmm. and Bram Stoker's novel, uh, which is, I mean, pretty well done, I think, over the past 120 years. Yeah. Because it, it, 1897, I think, is when the book came out. Yeah. So right about the time this thing called cinema was starting up. Where, where does Nosferatu sit for you in your sort of personal vampire film list if oh you gosh, have one. gosh, in the order. It, 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 it would, depends because it yeah. depends what you're watching a vampire film for because obviously the genre has changed a lot to mm. sort of mirror what it means to different eras. Mm. Uh, this one is uh, less gothic romantic, more gothic horror, which is you're not going to watch that if you are into a Twilight film and you... You want the mystery and the seduction of Vampire Night. That hurt to say that. Um, <laughs> or, uh, mm, look, as someone who loves the Bela Lugosi uh, Dracula, um, just because just because of the way he, the movement um, of that film, I would say this probably... Otherwise, it's about four? Four? I mean, um, I will... Not lie, I, I do love interview with a vampire, mm. um, purely for the costumes. I was going to say for the costumes, yeah, for the, for the costumes. <laughs> um, and it's good cast too. Yeah, good cast. Very, very well. Um, they did change a lot, but it's still better than uh, Queen of the Damned. Uh, oh yeah, that was the one with Aaliyah, wasn't it? With the singer. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, I mean, that was fun. Um, would you that say that had Paul McGann in it? Oh, brilliant! Yeah. Would, would would you say Nosferatu is better or worse than Dracula two thousand? Oh, I don't don't want to talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> well, with all actually, that... I've seen I've seen a lot of mm. yeah I've seen a lot of vampire films. Mm. Uh, no, Nosferatu is definitely better than <laughs> Dracula two thousand. Don't say that. Though, um, <laughs> funny enough, there's a lot of elements that it feels a bit like this in. Um, there was a movie uh, Van Helsing. That was made in, gosh, I'm going to say that was... Early 2000s? Early 2000s. Yeah, I know the one. Is that the one where the carriage explodes? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah I've yeah, seen that's that. That's a nice one. See, because I was really into the um, the Hammer Horror films. So I watched mm. a lot of the Christopher Lee, like, the you know, the, the Tears of Dracula, the Blood of Dracula, Dracula Reborn, Dracula's Back. Mm. Is great set of films. They do go in for the jump scares, sorry. But, I mean, you can deal with it. But it's just something about those close-up shots of christopher lee's eyes mm. sorry let's not talk about christopher lee i'll start crying okay <laughs> that's fair 
So with all that being said, shall we watch Nosferatu? I am fully up for this. Let's let's do it. Okay, for those of you listening at home, pop in those DVDs, load up those streaming services, and remember, blood is life. Blood is life. As we watch Nosferatu. That's just very funny in your accent. Welcome back, everybody. We have just finished watching Nosferatu, the 1922 version that is turning a hundred years old. Happy birthday. I don't know if it gets a letter from the Queen or whatever's left of the Habsburg Empire or whatever. Anyway, it's turning a (laughs) hundred and I'm joined once again by Christy Leach. Hello. And Dr. Ellen Sears. Hello. Ellen, that was your first time watching Nosferatu. What did you think? It's pretty impressive for a film from 1922, like, holy dooly. Mm, it's it's beautiful. It, I, I, it's I've, beautifully I've never seen shot. it before, either. Um, yeah. And watching it, I was like, oh, damn, this is good. Like, yeah, I, like, I, I can I, see why people still go cuckoo bananas over it, yeah. and why everyone's like, it's such an important, like, film from, like, mm. the silent era, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And it's it's not as though it's massively surprising that like films from the 1920s were good because we, we've covered films from this time period on the podcast before, like yeah. uh, The Cabinet of Dr. Caligari, which predates this by a year or two, yeah. is, I, I would argue, maybe even more beautiful than this, but in a very different way. Yeah. Um, and then even something from uh, 1931, Dracula, which I'm sure we'll be discussing a lot during this episode, mm. um, even though that's 10 years on, it's still very much of this time period yeah. and the thing that it really looks su- great. The thing that really surprised me about this film is how expansive it is because Cabinet of Dr. Caligari is all on sets and it's very contained and quite cramped mm. in because it's all done on, on sets. There's not really a lot that's done. I don't, it, I don't know if there's anything that's location. I think shoot. there's maybe, one, maybe one or two. From memory, I think there is like one exterior shot that's done on location. The rest is all done interiors. Yeah. Um, and then even looking at Dracula as well, like they're doing a lot of things, but like the shots aren't as wide. They're not as kind of beautifully put together. Mm. Because with this one as well, like there's a lot of static shots, but then there's what? some other ones where it's actually moving and it's very... What, it's really well done. Mm. Uh, Christy, this is the, your first time watching it uh, since your childhood. Um, <laughs> h- how was it uh, returning to I love it. I love it. It, it. There are moments you know are coming up and you're just waiting for them and I'm like, oh yes, that shot. Um, but then I just really enjoyed watching it with you guys and just nerding out over the cinematography, the framing, mm. um, oh, yeah, and the camera movement, use of camera movement in this and to just draw... I was just really enjoying shot choice and um, mise-en-scene and it just, yeah, it's, I was it's nerding very, out. It's, it's, it's very pretty. And that's the thing. Like, I know I know nominal amounts about film. I did a little, I did like a couple of film units in my undergraduate. Um, and obviously I've been on this podcast quite a bit. So I've sort of gone to the point where I'm like, oh, I can see what they're doing with the thing. Like, they're doing this. Like, I know about rule of thirds. I know about bits and pieces. But I can't always be like, oh, that's this framing thing or whatever. Like, I know like mids and wides and close-ups and but I feel like you've probably got um, a little bit more of a technical grounding. But even I was sitting here just like, God damn, like that would be a hard shot to do. And you're like, yeah, that would be a hard shot to do. We're like, this is very impressive. It's beautifully. Every, 1922. Every single shot. Mm. And the way every single shot just uh, adds as well the, to the yeah. narrative and the storytelling. The framing was very beautiful. Like it was just a very 
pretty film to look at. Like the way that they framed each shot was very intentionally and clearly done. It was not beautiful. Like, it's not like you would say it's sort of like oh it's just typical rule of thirds framing or something like that. No, I think there it's is very a particular. there is yeah there is a very mm. particular way this uh, film is shot, especially with um, the, it has a the style. Arches it and, has a yeah. style. There is yeah. there is a visual language here beautiful. that is very specific yeah. to this film. Mm. Could you uh, go into detail a bit more about the arches, Christy? Because this was something you pointed out pretty early in the film, yes. that characters are framed by arches. Yeah. And once you pointed that out, couldn't be unseen. There's Sorry. Arch- no, but, but, but it's good. But <laughs> arches everywhere are used to frame characters, to frame movement. And it's mm-hmm. it's really interesting to see it done so blatantly. But what, what was the thinking behind it? Look, um, arches are windows, Um and windows are always used in in cinema, uh, cinema, cinema um, to either you know put the audience in a particular place in a particular frame. Um, uh, in this, especially this uh, version, this Nosferatu, uh, you use windows, um, but you also use the arches to see characters moving from one place to another place emotionally, um, but also just to advance the story. Like for example, um, that beautiful first shot of Nosferatu when he reveals himself and he's coming out of the darkness under that beautiful arch mm. into that uh, moonlight and you really see him like bringing himself out of the darkness and the depth and it's like really part of his character um, and then it just sort of the rest of the characters get sucked into mm. it mm. Um, into that darkness yeah. yeah that's just kind of made me think a little bit about that idea of liminal space and how doorways and windows are seen as this kind of like in between space yeah. between one room and another or one world and another mm. and the fact that he comes out of the darkness and comes into he comes towards the, world of, the viewer yeah, yeah like he comes yeah. towards you like that's a really beautiful way of showing that you know scary things are coming out of the darkness towards you sort of thing like i imagine that would have been quite scary yeah like to watch in cinemas like i mean like trying to think and because like cinema hadn't been around for a long time hmm. Like, I feel like this would have been very scary to watch. Mm. And if you think of, um, there are, gosh, there are a few shots that jump to mind. Um, you think of the shot in the castle um, just after, um, not Harker. <laughs> Hutter. It, Hutter. I, I, I believe in this version it's Thomas Hutter, but Thomas the first Hutter. name of Hutter changes uh, across. I blanked then. Across I a like... lot of. In fact, in one version of the translations, he is Jonathan Hutter. Um, so yeah, he he is, is almost. Interesting. He is a stand-in for Jonathan Harker. Yeah, we're not we're not going to yeah. talk. Yeah, you're right. We don't want. That's to. like every time Knock came in, I'm like Renfield. Wait, no. Yeah, <laughs> my, my knock, knock, not Dracula. Mm. Um, there's that shot when um, Hutter is uh, cuts himself and and um, Nosferatu advances on him, and normally with that sort of. Normally when you would stage that in film, what you do is you push someone out of shot and you push them into a close-up. So you're the audience, you're in that action, in that fear moment with them. But instead what they did is, if you remember, um, Nosferatu pushed him back through that really elongated set where I was talking about forced perspective and shadows and the tiles um, and pushed him against the wall and then went down on him and the audience was back. We were behind Nosferatu watching mm. as like the voyeur through the window watching yeah. that drama there were unfold. A, there, were, there were a few voyeuristic kind of moments yeah. where you were kind of like outside the action watching. And it's that idea, I guess, of like the fourth wall, which you get from theatre, mm-hmm. which makes sense because a lot of early cinema was taking stuff from theatre. And I think like one of the things that we were talking about when we did the Dracula podcast last mm-hmm. year was the fact that 
it's very like watching a stage play. Yes. Um, and that's very typical of a lot of films in that 1930s era, um, mm-hmm. especially like movie musicals as well. They did that a lot as well. You know, their dance sequences and a lot of that was down to Fred Astaire being like, well, you're not filming my dances right and they can't be seen properly. So I want big, wide, long shots that are sustained and you're going to follow the movement because it was like watching them on a stage. Mm-hmm. Um, I've lost where I was going with this, but... <laughs> yeah, it, it is very, it is very stage-like. The action oh, in very this. stagey, um, very, very melodramatic. But I mean, I, it's, a, it's a silent film. I just also want to just draw your attention to. Well, we are talking about the framing and the moving through it, the way that the emotions. Of course, you you, you both picked up on those over emotions that are very um, yeah. characteristic of the silent oh, it's, film it's, era. It's, it's, it's very but melodramatic. The way that the shot choice and the lens choice really plays into that, um, mm. and the way that you focus in on characters' emotions, like you will cut from those beautiful big wide shots when we got that massive chase sequence between um, Guta and Nosferatu. Um, straight into that really tight emotional shot on Ellen with the vignette that really pushes you in and you see her anguish and her heaving beautiful neck. Yeah, you see that pain because there's the shot which is bringing you into it and it's just... It's remarkable. And like obviously with with it being the, the silent film era, the cinematography is is essentially doing the a job is doing the job of sound almost in some respects yeah, yeah. um and i i found it really interesting um watching a silent fil- a feature-length silent film you're always sort of going how much reading am i gonna do how many cards am i gonna see and i felt that the the um speech cards were used pretty much perfectly in oh, this in yeah. that they there's weren't... a lot of showing and not a lot of telling yeah so mm-hmm. like the bit where the boat comes in and they're like, okay, we're going to go check the ship manifest and yeah. find out what's going yeah. on. And instead of having like a big long thing when they're all out there doing something else, you actually cut to inside the ship. You see him go and get the manifest. Mm-hmm. You see him read the manifest. Mm. And that's intercut with them outside the boat doing stuff. Moving but also bodies. notice that uh, some of those cut title sequences are like diegetic uh, sh- pieces of parchment or shots or pages from the film as opposed to always just being that sort of the title card the title card Mm. you cut to the manifest you cut to the shipping notice you cut to the little book on vampires that thomas finds the vampire warning book um yeah it's it's um it's it's very complex it's really well done we even have a a cross stitch that ellen makes that reads i love you um which is just like beautifully done and like another way of conveying the the emotion in that relationship between um thomas luther and and ellen and yeah it's it's just very clever and having never watched it before it is one of those things where it's like oh okay yes i can see why this is the one that's always in those yeah this is like, a big deal. important film books it's like this and metropolis from the 1920s and maybe the jazz singer like, it defines filmic language yeah you, you get to see light as a character in this and it's mm. not just mm. oh it's a spooky shadow moving across the screen i think a lot of people just associate that with horror um and gothic horror but in here shadows form part of the story Mm. and you don't get a lot Mm. of those overpoweringly just darkness for the point of darkness and the use of the shadowed hand of nosferatu Mm -hmm. to kill ellen Mm. when he 
has the silhouette over where her mm. heart is and then closes the fist and she responds like, ah, something's just yeah. grabbed my heart. Oh God, that's great. That yeah. like it, it, and like as trying to think back a hundred years ago, that would have probably been terrifying. Yeah. Um, it's like st- he's not even touching her. Like yeah. his shadow is getting And there's her. a lot it's- of the play on that in the words. They keep mm. talking about the shadow of the death bird. The death boat rushes. This It's mm. the, yeah, the shadow of the nightmare. Yeah, he's pushing it with supernatural strength. It, like it's- they use the shadow mm. as, like, sorry, Nosferatu's magical force. Yeah. Mm. And it's really done really well, if you think of it. So think mm. of that shot from, you know, we're talking about um, Dracula the 1930 version with um, Bela Lugosi. Bela Lugosi. Mm. And that sequence when he is in the room. Mm. Um, and you think of that same shot. Um, it is still more intimate. It, it, mm. it's, it is that gothic romance sort of seduction you're talking about. This is just scary. This is a lot scarier. There's nothing... Because Bella Lugosi's very romantic. like fancy and like flipping his cape around and oh. like oh no like it's very mm. like oh I love that walk oh no it's beautiful but it's very well, it's, it's different it's, as well it's quite campy mm-hmm. by today's standards whereas I think like if we showed this to like you know like our niece and nephews like how old's Emily like eight I think she would I think she would probably think it's a bit silly but I think she would also be quite scared. I, yeah, I, I, I think she would be like, oh, I don't like this. It's, it's supposed <laughs> yeah. to be a horror film. I'd He's agree. scary. But I think it's also because the the, the story, in case you haven't watched the film, it, it's Dracula. It's a ripoff of Dracula. Just, yeah. just, just see you all it's know. It's just Dracula, <laughs> but German. Yeah. Um, but but the, the, the key difference, I think, in the interpretations <laughs> of those What are they going to do? Sue them for copyright? I did. Yeah. <laughs> of course they did. That's amazing. The key difference in those interpretations, though, is that Nosferatu is very much that almost necromancer sort of master of death, whereas Dracula in the Bela Lugosi version... is like a monster. Well, it's much more about, like, the the seductive side. The romanticism of The romantic side. Yeah. Like, like Nosferatu's alter ego in this is is Count Orlac, who who is just kind of like him in a wig like that's it's it's there's nothing really going on there he's a creepy looking old dude who then when he mm. becomes nosferatu is still a creepy looking old dude he's just there's nothing attractive yeah. yeah yeah he's not attractive he's mm-hmm. he, he is like he's like a golem creature mm. so like 100 like percent creepy goblin I, man i think in a way it, it sort of is um the truth behind the story of dracula like mm. uh you get in, in every other version, you start getting into that gothic romanticism and, and there is no it's line like between they... good and evil. The vampires are beautiful creatures and, you know, everyone's lusting after them. They're not really depicting yeah, them as... as terrifying, blood-sucking, plague-bringing monsters. And yeah. this very much is. I think it's interesting because sometimes as well, like, obviously you've got, like, the contemporary, like, vampire thing is, like you know, the Vampire Diaries, where they're very, like, beautiful-looking people. You've got something like Twilight, where they literally sparkle in the sun. And the whole idea is that they're, they're designed to, like, draw in their prey. Hmm. Like, a you know, like a, like a mating dance, almost like, See, oh, I always thought the, so beautiful. The sparkle thing was the them. refraction of the uh, light off the stone of their skin. I, that's, what, that's how I interpreted that. Yeah, but, but the that... thing is, as well, is that, like, Edward Cullen also smells really good. Does, does he? In the books, oh. yeah. Like, there's, like, a very, like, olfactory thing to those novels. And it's not just him. I think I think maybe just Stephanie Meyer has a thing for, like, 
olfactory stuff because it's the same thing with the werewolf guys and she's like it smells so good and i'm like okay Hang on. I'm, I'm trying to remember that bit and i'm also trying to figure out when romanticism really got attached to those vampires um obviously like there's the interpretation of the original bram stoker book and then of course you see in bram stoker's dracula i mean mm. oh my gosh gary oldman you can't escape that mm. um but then you, you think of like the Anne Rices and the uh, Laurel K. Hamiltons and these overtly sexualized yeah, mythical and th- creatures. And then you look at this and there's, there's worlds apart. And yet mm. this is honestly more true to the text than anything. Yeah, than a lot of the, the, the books that were allowed to be based on yeah. Dracula. Yeah. yeah it, 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 and then even like, so to go back again to contemporary vampires, if you're looking at something like Buffy the Vampire Slayer, like they just look like normal, generally good looking Ah, people. but that's a very different mythology, that one. It is. But then when they go like full vamp mode, their faces do that nice like squishy... They're possessed like, by yeah. demons. Yeah. Yeah, like that mm-hmm. kind of like Klingon face. Yeah, they just smush in. And then they're not pretty anymore. Mm. You know, like it's... They're monsters. Yeah, so there's that yeah. line between they did mention the sexy this. and then the monster, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. whereas this is just full monster. Yeah. They did link and this a lot back of to other demons. Stuff. Yeah. yeah, and then a lot of the other like media, it's just they're monsters, but they're pretty monsters. So like you will happily let them rip your throat out because they're so pretty. And yeah, and and, and the whatever. only sort of level of like being drawn in that we see, yeah, is from Ellen when she keeps trying to like walk on the balcony or open the windows. Yeah, but. Even then, that's yeah. ne- that's never depicted as being like a, a, a sexual, sexual lusting to be with Nosferatu. It's yeah. more just that she is almost hypnotized or enthralled, as mm. opposed to yeah. And it's not attracted. like a, yeah, and it's not like a sex. She it's she's not like a heaving bosom kind of you know type thing. Whereas mm. like Mina in a lot of the other ones, she's very like oh and like it's very like yeah breathless. Oh my gosh, and you know. Mm. Dracula's just so sexy. Yeah, like just bringing us back there. Yeah, just, mm. a, just a fraction to that shot of Ellen on the balcony. Um, it's very ethereal. And yeah, like... I was thinking because you have that whole chase sequence and, I, and you, you, you heard me and I'm like, we don't normally get this in the films. Um, mm. or, or oh, the, the, when they're all trying to get back to Yeah, they're the all racing back. And mm. like that was a good basically two acts of the uh, film was this chase sequence. Mm. And I was just really uh, thinking about how much um, that, like the, the effort and the time they put into um, A, not him Harker, getting to the castle. Hutter, Hutter. Hutter, him getting apologies. to the castle. Yeah. Him, they developed him as a character. Whereas in most of the others, they just skip straight almost to um, mm. Dracula seducing Mina and everybody because that's what because the we everyone wanna, wants Because that. we want to get to the sexy part. But in this, it was very much the three characters. Mm. Yeah. It was Ellen, Huta and Nosferatu. And you even had shot for shot that were cut with one, two, three, one, mm. two, three. It was and, beautiful. And the changes that they made, because again, rip off of Dracula, is really interesting. Like um, the, the fact that the, the Van Helsingy character, oh, uh, yes. Professor Bulwer, only comes in right at the end. And he's and barely he doesn't in do it. anything. He and do the anything. rest of the time, like he's like, "Oh, I'm showing these students how a Venus flytrap works," and then mm-hmm. he Looking gets at stuff on the microscope. Yeah, that was beautiful. And he got dragged in at the end. I think almost just because we needed we, we needed we needed someone to respond to the devastation of Thomas and Ellen saying goodbye as Ellen dies. Mm. Um, but but like making Renfield the not character, um, where that is Thomas's boss, and making him 
to be honest, a little bit Nosferatu in his makeup. It could just be because it was it was very interesting. The early twenties, and they they looked quite similar, except their physicality was completely different. They did. Mm. They did put a lot of effort with him falling under Nosferatu's spell at the beginning. Mm. I think with the that demonic letter he was speaking in and writing and stuff, yeah. in the same language as Nosferatu. So you got that feeling that a he had foreknowledge of what was going to happen and B, he was in communication and in communicado with Nosferatu long Mm. before all this happened because right then is when you start getting all of the foreshadowing of the, you know, you might have to have give a bit of blood, you know to get this deal through, ah ha 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 like it'll cost you an arm and a leg but, you know Mm. no, it's just going to cost you your wife ha 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 yeah, it it, it is intriguing it's more or less what happened I really wonder about that it is intriguing how that why they chose to make these changes um but but also to reflect on it as obviously this this film quite quite famously um it being a rip off uh, was noticed yeah <laughs> um, and dragged by... through the dragged through the courts and um i think burnt was the was the outcome of that court case wasn't it that's why everything's a copy uh yes um it as as part of the um, the the legal proceedings, uh, as part of the fallout from that, Ouch. and uh, with with the Stoker estate, um, all original copies of the film were destroyed. Wow! Yeah. So yeah, the the only reason that we have, um, or at least all uh, original copies they could find, were destroyed. Which somebody was like hiding in a basement somewhere, like. Nah! <laughs> yeah, but but most most versions. Some plague dirt at the bottom of the castle. Man, you'd be you. I mean, like. Okay, obviously, like, yeah, you copyright and copyright and stuff. But imagine making a film that was this detailed with like these beautiful shots and whatever else, and then they're like, "We're gonna burn every copy of it." You'd be like, "Hell no!" I think they were saying as well, like, this was a particularly low budget film Doesn't uh, look for like the a time. Low budget film. No, yeah, but for, <laughs> but for the time and for the production company, but it also said that they used uh, most of their budget up um, in advertising. The film so they had very little left to distribute so not many people got to see it once they'd actually finished it mm-hmm. i think it's one of those things which has become a cult classic and is more popular as a result of i mean understandably time yeah i mean that happens with stuff a lot of the time it's kind of like oh like this is actually pretty good but then it's like oh but did you hear that like you know they got sued and they burnt the old year like that would make me want to watch a film more to be honest if it was like, oh, they like tried to burn it mm. because of copyright issues. It's like, oh, oh, really? Damn. <laughs> Quick. <laughs> That's intense. Let's get that on the uh, 1920s equivalents of LimeWire. Yeah. No, no, exactly. And it's, it, it, it is intriguing how Nosferatu as sort of an entity sort of exists independently from Dracula, despite yeah. being a knockoff. Yeah. Mm. It, it's not. I mean, he's still a vampire. He still falls under a lot of the vampire mythos. Um, yeah, the graveyard dirt. I thought it was interesting the mm. the plague connection. Yeah, that they made. They were like, oh, like there's a black death link here, where, you know, he brings the black plague with him. I was like, oh, okay. Mm. They actually they they devoted a lot of the film to that. Yeah, I was just thinking. And actually, that's an interesting set of lore. That's not one that I've necessarily run across with vampires, but it would make sense that they would be associated with it as well. Because wasn't what what isn't one of the things that they tried to do to keep the Black Death away? They used to do like poultices of like 
smelly things like yeah. garlics and mm. flowers and things. Yeah. I'm like, get rid of the vapors, yeah. Yeah, no, but that's the thing. I'm like, well, you know, that that there's a link there to your garlic keeping vampires away and the Oh, yeah. nice. Nice. Yeah, like, you see where I'm going with yeah. this. So, you know, there's like some interesting stuff there that they've done and I'm like, okay, yeah, that makes sense because as well, like the, w- when the plague happened, they were like, we don't know what causes yeah. this. We just know that people are getting mm. real sick. And then obviously later on down the track, we were like, oh, it was the rats and oh, mm. it was, you know, this and then it was like actually no there's like pneumonic and bubonic and like you know all the different variants of it and whatever else but back then it was just like oh witchcraft or whatever because mm. they didn't understand necessarily how like germs and crap worked which i liked uh, gosh two points from that um a i love that you've you've just commented on the fact that they didn't understand germs and and yet this film went to such a beautiful detail um with bulwer and the first or second act going into the nature of death and decay and co- like i mean that consuming was, life that with was the big insects. in the 1800s so and they the were shots. obsessed with death yeah mm. but we got shots we Tori got a Nero. shot of a microbe in there yeah. a polyp mm. what was it yeah polyp, yeah, polyp yeah. eating yeah. a uh, microbe and i was like god damn yeah it was it was very effectively used yeah um, well yeah. i mean you know this actually makes a lot of sense that this was made when it was as well though because if you're looking at like so the 1800s like the victorians like they were obsessed with yes. death right they were obsessed with death like Hence, mourning Bram and Stoke's death dracula. And, yep. and dracula and all those like gothic romantic things where mm. it was like you know you know mary shelley getting dicked on her mother's grave and like all this kind of stuff you could have put that more delicately, wow. but okay. <laughs> okay. Um, she did. Yes. I think if you want to throw anything back to that, it could potentially be, of course, this was shot in the 920. Well, this is post-World this War One. This is post-World yeah. War One. We're shot, dealing shot. with yeah. the fear of the death of, and yeah. just the overwhelming magnitude was, of death of World War One. It was recorded less than three years after the uh, end of World War One, yeah. and yeah. was released in under four years, So, because it was shot July to October 1921. So mm. everyone who is in this film has just gone through the Great War, and they're yeah. thinking, well, no more wars coming at least, phew, you know, that kind of thing. But also, they've just gone <laughs> through this, this like horrible sort of like traumatic entry into what 20th century warfare is. Because mm-hmm. uh, yeah. again, the First World War was was so traumatic we had to have a second world war just to wrap it up basically like yeah. it, it, it's it's an incredible event um and the fact is is that we're looking at these creatives in this brand new medium yeah mm-hmm. just after it and of course they're living in what is now i don't think it's even technically the weimar republic yet like no. the, the country that they're in or the collection of countries is yeah. so Provinces, amorphous yeah. and fluid that that they're going to be reacting to it in all sorts of interesting ways, and I think Nosferatu, and a lot of the films from this time period that we still have, even like Cabinet of Dr. Caligari being shot, basically wars over, let's get rolling, is it's <laughs> like it, it is really interesting that you know they they made these choices and went into this sort of dark, spooky territory. Well, that was one of the big yeah. things that was happening in art and in theatre at this time as well, is that basically post-World War One, everybody sort of came back and all these, like, educated young men who had gone off to war for the glory of it and whatever else, they came back and they were like, war's messed up, hey! And nothing makes sense anymore. And so mm-hmm. we're going to make really messed up art and start pushing the boundaries of art. To start expressing because, emotion. Yeah, yeah. because yeah. We, there, there is no art form that we currently possess. Like naturalism, realism and all those kind of things. It doesn't actually show how horrible 
humanity yeah. is basically so they started going into all these really interesting mm-hmm. like expressionism and surrealism and all those kind of things They're like we want to explore these really dark horrible things but we can't do that through realism because it's that's not creating the right effect you know and that's where you put and that's where you get stuff like um and i'm going back into theater stuff now um antonin arto's the spurt of blood mm. is 1925 i think sounds right um and that's that's a real messed Look, up you get some amazing stuff coming Play. out of hang on of... spurt of blood or jet of blood hang on what year and it's 20s i swear to god 1925, so like three years after this. And that's like the hand of God comes down, somebody bites the wrist and it like spurts blood across the stage. Like it's, it's, it's unstageable. It was unstageable when Arto wrote it in the 20s. You know what I mean? So yeah, this is a time where a lot of people are like, we're just going to explore some real messed up stuff. Mm-hmm. I think this fits very nicely in that post-World War I canon. Have you got somewhere you want to go next? Or can I just say what a beautiful mix that this... Uh, film has between the surrealism and realism you literally mm. cut shot for shot in this between those be- as you said those beautiful big wide shots that are showing mountains and rivers forests and, and forests stuff. and then you do have this the filmic carriage you know in sped up time to and show the, the supernatural doors speed Nosferatu yeah. carrying the coffin around yeah. like yeah like it, it it just looks absurd but at the same time like it's like this dude is supernaturally strong there's something there's something very scary about the fact that is and it and and it makes it look real and the implication here as well is that that coffin is full of dirt Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. what has been this whole film that and plague bearing rats yeah and so that whole idea of he is carrying a coffin that is full of dirt he's obviously not like it's probably made of like like i said balsa wood or something Mm -hmm. white Mm -hmm. so he can carry it around but the character is the character is that implies that's terrifying yeah that's terrifying and then when he gets to the house he just fades through the door instead of opening the door yeah Yeah. no some Mm. of those yeah and like when the when the when you've got like the super speed Mm -hmm. carriage and stuff i'm like man like that's Mm. yeah this this film is this film's scary (laughs) Would you guys like some trivia yeah. about this? Oh, I would love I would love some trivia. Okay. Take all it away, this, Doctor. All of this trivia is sourced from IMDB, so if it's not true, don't blame me. Uh, this movie was banned in Sweden due to excessive horror when it was first released. There you go. The ban was lifted in 1972. <laughs> <laughs> A full 50, 50 years, years later. Yeah. Wow. I feel like that's more one of those uh, couple of Swedes are going, hey, we... This is still banned. Whoops, let's <laughs> yeah. let's fix that. Shall we unban it? Yeah. Um, so yeah, banned for fifty years. The being excessively horrible. Uh, wow. Um, all known prints and negatives were destroyed under the terms of the settlement uh, of a lawsuit by the Bram Stoker's widow. Uh, however, the film would subsequently surface through second generation reels in other countries. Um, because of this legal action, um, the subtitles were translated into French then when the film went to the USA um, into English but with Stoker's characters' names used. Oh, wow. Oh. In the meantime, the original prints were destroyed because of the legal action. Uh, so the original subtitles were lost. The American version went to the UK and then was translated back into German for a release there. When restorers were about to make a definitive version, they were looking through a number of archives, but unfortunately all the prints they found had the changed subtitles, so they gave up hope of being able to recover the originals. They later heard of a good print in an East German archive. 
When they got there, they found out that the print had been loaned out. The restorers were then offered to have a look at another print from the archive, which wasn't considered as good as the other one. When the restorers observed that print, they discovered it had the original subtitles. It had been sitting there for around half a century with nobody noticing that it had the original subtitles. Holy shit. Wow. Mm. Good find. Amazing. Um, Archives are fun places. Doesn't matter. They're Mm. just fun places. Now, anyone who's been on IMDb, particularly on their notable films, will know that you have the following bit of trivia that always turns up. (laughs) This film is included in 1001 Movies You Must See Before You Die, edited by Stephen Schneider. I have a copy of that book. Do you have a copy? I have a copy of that book. Yep, X, that's fair. Um, However, (laughs) I include it in this for this reason. It is the only instance in the book where both the original film and its remake are included. The remake being 1979's Nosferatu the Vampire, directed by Werner Herzog. Interesting. Mm. Wow. And I've not seen the the 79 Herzog version. If it's Herzog, then it'll be weird and messed Mm. up. Well, well, Herzog has been... Yeah, yeah. in the best possible way. I mean that in a positive way. Oh, of course. (laughs) Yeah, Herzog has been interviewed and said this is the best film Germany has ever produced. In his opinion, like mm. he, he's very that much... doesn't surprise me. Oh, bless yeah. him! Of course, Werner Herzog loves yeah. this film. <laughs> yeah, in fact, he's probably more said it like, "This is the best film Germany has ever produced, and I would like to see the baby." <laughs> the catch Tees and Orava Castles were used as uh, locations for Orlok's castle. Uh, Catch Tees, which appears in the last shot of the movie, was notably the residence and later prison of Hungarian Countess Elizabeth Bathory. Bathory? Yes. Oh, wow. For those that's who, amazing. For those who don't know at home, uh, she was famously accused of torturing and killing hundreds of girls and women between 1590 and 1610 and supposedly used their blood as an attempt to retain youth. Yeah, didn't you just bathe, bathe in the blood? Yeah. It has been speculated... Um, such as by the author Raymond McNally, that Bathory was the inspiration for Bram Stoker's Dracula. See, the funny thing is as well, is that, you know, you've got Elizabeth Bathory, who's this crazy lady who's like, I'm out like killing people and bathing in their blood or whatever. Or like that was the that was the rumour and the, the story and the whatever else. And they're like, oh, we can't have a woman doing that in the thing. We'd better make it a man. <laughs> That's we it. better make it a murderous man. We can't have a lady doing the things. Oh, man. That's but it's funny. a really nice touch. That's brilliant. Is it deliberate or is it coincidence? I would, it's deliberate. I would presume it would be yeah. deliberate. Yeah, yeah no, it's, oh, it, wow. it is deliberate. That's so, nice. Yeah. That's a nice shout out. And finally, the concept in popular culture that sunlight is lethal to vampires comes from this film. This was the first time such a death was depicted in film history. Uh, the director, Friedrich Murnau, knew that he would be sued for borrowing heavily from uh, Bram Stoker's Dracula without permission. So he changed the ending in order that he could say that this film and Dracula were not exactly the same. It's not the same. The mean it. I mean, Ellen dies and <laughs> Dr- Nosferatu does this. Mm. But how interesting that his like little wriggle to be like, oh, yeah, we can get away with this has become the defining trait of how you kill a vampire. Yeah. Look, I think I think the supernatural and and uh, paranormal vampirism genre in, has adopted 
all of these different incarnations of the um, Bram Stoker's Dracula novel. Like for, you said, Nosferatu, the Nosferatu type vampire. Look, that I'm pretty sure is referenced in the True Blood series in oh, yeah. in Anne Rice. Oh, they, it's in What We Do in the Shadows. In What You Do in the Shadows, yeah. Like, they literally yeah, talk night, about yeah, yeah mm. the Nosferatu type vampire as in oh you know you get made by that sort of vampire you're that sort of vampire it's almost like it's a different bloodline yeah so all that remains is for us to score the film and ellen yeah you get to go first (laughs) on a scale of what to what on a scale Uh, of 10 with one being real bad and 10 being excellent oh or perfect i guess basically um ellen it, it was your first time watching it so you get to go first what score would you give Nosferatu out of 10? Well, you can't really judge it on its plot because obviously it's just kind of like Dracula fan fiction. Mm. Um, it is, it is. Mm. And again, <laughs> the first. <laughs> and again, I say that in the best possible way because I love fan fiction. Um, I do, I do. I think no, no, no. I think it's great. Um, but yeah, like I wasn't watching this for the plot. I was watching it to like look at the pretty and look at like the the, the filming bits and pieces. Gosh, and there was I a lot just, of pretty. I just think it's so impressive. Like mm. I am, I am so super impressed with this film. Having watched another couple of films from this sort of same sort of like the twenties and the thirties, like that similar sort of era, this is just a really technically impressive film. It tells the story really beautifully through imagery. Um, it does a lot of showing and not telling. You know, it's got that kind of character through line where you've got this very happy girl, Lucky Hutter, who's having a very lovely time, and then he slowly becomes like more and more like messed up. So like, there's like actual character progression. It's not like a lot of things at this time, which were just like it, all these characters are just one note archetypes, and they don't actually do anything. Yeah. So I, yeah. I think I think this is a very impressive film. I'm gonna give it. Um. I'm going to give it eight nasty, sharp, pointy teeth out of ten. Okay. I, like, I like his little, I his, like his his little, little fangs. fangs. His little fangs at the front. Mm. Uh, Christy, mm. what would you give this film out of ten? Look, um, having watched it again, uh, I just want to say this is, this is an interesting experience because, of course, we're watching the uh, remastered um, uh, yes, version. Uh, the remastered Blu-ray edition, I yes. should say, uh, which is from, I believe, 2015 or 2016. And they have done an amazing job. I mean, ha- it's very, very different to the copy I had as a, as a teenager. Um, and just being able to w- watch it like this is, is incredible. So, like, hats off to the people that restored this film. It is, the clarity is just stunning and I can literally talk about it for hours, um, but I'm not allowed to. Um, as far as, look, when you're talking about films, you're talking about like characterization, narrative, the use of the filmic language, um, the direction, even the acting in this, like, you're right, Huta is a full-blown character in this. He's mm. fantastic. Um, yeah, Ellen doesn't get much but she does She's end up killing the Nosferatu and being the mm. only one to like decipher the literary text to you know destroy the curse. Mm. She effectively saves the entire village. So like hats off to her. Like that's, that's pretty good. That's, for that's, a, pretty, that's good pretty good for a nineteen twenties film. Yeah. yeah. Um. So uh, and the like the filmic language, the cinematography is. Oh God, I'm gonna give it nine. Let's give it nine fangs out of ten. Excellent. Only because I don't believe 10 exists. Mm. 
Well, for me, um, I had a great time. Uh, I <laughs> I really really enjoyed this film, and I. I, I was a little unsure coming into it just because I only really knew it from reputation mm. of it being there's some shots of shadows and it's a Dracula ripoff. But it, it, it's not... I, I think that reputation of it being a ripoff is a little unfair. I feel like it stands on its own feet. It does. Mm. It, it stands on its own feet in its own coffin dirt. It might have stolen the dirt from uh, Bram Stoker, but you know what? I... I I think this is... Hey, it is plague dirt. It is not grave dirt. <laughs> That's true. Very different. Um, I, but I think it's a, I think it's a maybe a more interesting mm-hmm. version of the story. I think it focuses on aspects of the Dracula character that I'm more interested in. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I say this as someone who was in a play of a 1920s Dracula play. I played uh, Dr. Seward. Uh, <laughs> and I got a lot of time to understand what was going on because my main lines were, but my daughter... Van Helsing, what are you doing here? What? That's impossible. They were my three lines recycled because it was the 1920s. Uh, but, um, but like, yeah, Dracula texts play. and, and uh, productions and things like that do interest me. And I think Nosferatu really latches mm-hmm. on mm-hmm. With, with, with two little mosquito-like teeth onto the things that are really, that fascinate me about the Dracula story. I, I do think this film could have been potentially made better at the time, but not by a lot. Um, I think it's it's pretty remarkable. And I think the fact that it's now turning 100, as people are listening to this episode, um, or when this episode is released, mm. I should say, uh, it will be turning 100 within the next week. Um, it is it is fantastic. For, you know, I don't think there's many things that... Um, that that last that well a century on. No, they um, really you know, don't. I think there's a lot of films that are being made today that a hundred years on, people are going to be like, "Wow, that's yeah, crap." That was a bit now. <laughs> that animated Pinocchio film looks terrible. Like you know, all of those different things. Um, I'm going to give it eight and a half um, sneaky plague rats out of ten. In fact, no, mm. I'm going to change it. I'm going to give it eight and a half. Hyena werewolves. Oh, hyena werewolves. Oh, we didn't even mention the hyena hyena werewolves. Or the beautiful on-set rat acting. I I was going to say, very good rat acting. rodent corralled those things Mm. beautifully in this film. Yeah, they really did. They must have had a lot of peanut butter out for them or something. (laughs) And horses. Yeah. Yeah, good horse acting. Yeah, we talk about the animals on this film. Sorry. The the animals on this film... Yeah, sweet. Do you think about like in the first act, those 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 horses galloping across the German countryside? Yeah, it's beautiful. That was cinematic as heck. In comparison to those horses that were um, dragging along that death carriage of Nosferatu mm-hmm. in yeah. those oh, horrible costumes. Yeah, terrifying. Wow. Yeah, it was it was great. Linger. And and using a hyena as like a werewolf stand-in, pretty inspired. Because yeah. again. Not a lot, like us now in the 21st century, you'd be like, that's a hyena. We know what that is. But but using them in the same way that Dracula from 1931 had the armadillos. The armadillos and the bees. Because people hadn't seen armadillos really. Unless unless they lived in that part of the world. Yeah. And so they were so strange and it was feeding into that strangeness. But using a hyena as a werewolf, I thought was, it actually fit what they were trying to do. I think it works a lot better than probably having a dude in a suit. Yeah. Or indeed, an armadillo. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> or an armadillo is a werewolf yeah you know like, yeah um but yeah just just lots of really interesting choices um mm. and and 
choices that ultimately benefit the film. There's very little in this mm. film where I've gone, oh, that's a misstep. Like everything is a thought. Like, I was just even just saying, like, set design. Mm. Like, if you think, and if you compare the sort of the clutter and the chaos of Nosferatu's chaos, uh, castle and just how the framing was a bit off focus and we tend to move diagonally and then you mm. compare that straight to lines and diagonals. those beautiful straight lines, those perfectly vertical pillars and the window framing that happens in, um, not Wolf, um, the, the city. Mm. Stunning. Like you, mm. it's, it really has that sort of like mm. old world monster coming to attack this yeah. beautiful new futuristic town. Yeah. The other thing that um, I'm just going to briefly mention is the fact that as we were watching it, because obviously we're 100 years on, and one of the big things as we were coming into the 2020s is everybody was like, yeah, let's bring like the Jazz Age back. And everyone was like, yeah, Prohibition. Oh, maybe not Prohibition. The Plague. Yeah, maybe not the Plague. And then obviously we've kind of had our own like contemporary plague. And there's the bit where the plague is coming through oh, the yeah. town here. And yeah. they were like, the guys coming down drumming on the street like, all right, guys, you got to stay inside. They just yeet the child out of the window like, get back inside. And it was like, oh, yeah, no, shelter in place. We're doing the isolation thing. Like I was like, this, look. We're still doing this. This is mm. the same thing. And then they're out and about trying to like get, um, I was about to say Renfield, not Renfield, knock. And they're all like massing around the street. We're like, social distancing, guys. Like you've got to yeah. yeah. keep 1.5 yeah. metres apart. It's a good point. Yeah, the people of um, <laughs> Weisborg, the, fic- the fictional German town that is uh, the main setting for this film. The fact is, you, we could tell it was fictional because everyone obeyed the health directives until they were chasing knock. Everyone was like immediately yeah. like, right, lock it down. Let's do it. And you got to say... Like, we had our, our normal sort of, like, horror characters. We had the mob sequence mm. that was completely unrelated to Nosferatu, guys. They mm. went after the, the real estate agent before they went <laughs> after the vampire. In fairness, who Kill hasn't the wanted landlord. to rip apart? Get him, like, who hasn't just... wanted to rip apart a real estate agent every now and then? <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. But, yeah, a, a really interesting film. And, and also one that um, we've, we've discovered is available free to watch on YouTube. Mm. Um, various versions of it are available to watch on YouTube. So if you are looking for a way to watch this film, having heard this podcast, YouTube's your friend. Um, because it is in the public domain. Nosferatu entered the public domain in 2019. And just stunningly going. restored. And yeah. I must say... It's a beautiful, like, mm. beautiful restoration of it. So... Ellen and Christy, thank you so much for joining me on this episode of the Cinema Catch-Up Club. Aww. Thank you very much for having me. Thanks. It has been a pleasure for my a second time. Yeah. Mm. And for those of you listening at home, thank you for listening in. Uh, some of you might be thinking, Stephen, February has concluded, or is about to conclude. Where's the episode of Ed Wood that you promised? It's coming. We had to slightly rejig the calendar. Uh, Ed Wood will be coming in either next week or the week after. So if you want to uh, hang out for that one and know when it's coming, subscribe. Uh, just look for us on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, all of those services. Um, just search for the Cinema Catch-Up Club there and the Ed Wood episode. And indeed, all future episodes will appear there each and every week. Um, if you want to become a member of our Patreon and help us decide films that are coming up, things of that nature, uh, just search for us at patreon.com forward slash podcast. And of course, there are our various uh, social media feeds, the main one being the Facebook page. Just search for the Cinema Catch-Up Club on Facebook. Give us a like and you can get news and updates from there. But that is all for this week. So until next time, goodbye. Farewell. See you later.
You have been listening to a Thought Jar Productions podcast. For more information, please visit thoughtjarproductions.com.